right, Rich, whenever you're ready. All right. Brian, we need to stay calm. We need to stay calm, get our game faces on. Oh, are we live right now? Yes, we are We are live oh now. Oh, my God. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to another episode of League One on the Rocks. My name is Rich. You can find me on Twitter at I'm Rich, but I'm not. Joined, as always, by Brian opposite me in the uh, the live stream here. Brian, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Um, hectic day, but we'll get through it somehow. And if you guys are watching over on the YouTube channel, you see that there's an extra face in the frame here. That's because we have a special guest tonight, North Carolina's head coach, John Bradford. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. Appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you for taking the time to come on the show. Yes, absolutely. So as we start every single one of our shows, uh, Brian, what are you drinking tonight? Um, I just ran upstairs and grabbed a bush light that I have in my fridge. There you uh, go. Nice tall boy, so I don't have to get up if the kids aren't the ones getting me up this time. Nice. So last night I went out with a friend um, after I had you know, a meeting there in Omaha, and uh, we decided to go to Spirit World, which is over by uh, Baxter Arena, and I decided to get a 12-year scotch while I was there. And I'm excited to crack into this one. Um, while I was there, he was trying to tell me or ask me which ones I've had and which ones I like. And I told him I like Glenlivet, you know, 12. And I've had, you know, I really like Elijah Craig as well. Um, so he pointed out a couple bourbons and pointed out a bit of scotch and settled on this guy. So I'm going to break into this one. Very nice. <laughs> Ooh, it smells good. <laughs> Uh, Tim already with Ranting Blue Penguin Media saying corn can or no, it is not a corn can. And Alex Ashton, uh, League One Updater, saying Bushlight versus 12-year-old Scotch. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. The dichotomy is, not, is a little <laughs> bit crazy. Now, John, to get into the, uh, the interview here, um, I'm going to let Brian ask this one because he actually uh, discovered this one, and I thought this was a good question, so I'm going to let him take over that one. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, Coach, just going over your um, your career here, uh, you played college ball um, with the Furman Paladins from 1998 to 2001, and Greenville Triumph plays their home games now um, at Furman Stadium. So is it kind of weird to see the – your alma mater be occupied by a opposing team? Yeah, I think it's kind of special, actually. Um, and when we were down there uh, and played them, you know, a month ago or whenever it was, had an opportunity to go out with, with Coach Allison, who's the, the Furman University men's head coach, who's still down there, and he's still coaching from the time that I was there as well. So it's pretty cool to be back on campus and, and uh, you know, interesting that the, the Triumph is playing there, but it's a lovely place, Greenville, uh, and obviously the Furman campus is lovely as well. So good. That's cool. And uh, just announced just a, a couple hours ago, um, North Carolina FC uh, forward Cole Frame was uh, loaned to Rio Grande Valley and the championship uh, for the remainder of the 2023 season. Uh, can you give us some of your thoughts on that loan deal? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a lot of details that are in the loan deal that, that obviously weren't in the, the press release and um, and that kind of thing. So, you know, RGV specifically and, and their roster and their needs that they may have and then looking at our roster and, and obviously trying to, to help our young players have opportunities for them and that kind of thing. And 
um, you know, none of the financial specifics were disclosed in the, in the release or whatever, but, um, you know, I know Cole's going to make the most of the opportunity. He's been down there for the last couple of weeks in, in, in training um, and seems to be doing well. So we wish him the best. Very cool. And I think he's, he's been a part of your club for a few years now. Uh, 20 years old. He's had 40 appearances with the league one club. I mean, man, that's quite a lot of appearances for at such a young age. That's got to speak highly to the academy that you have set up down there. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Cole's, Cole's a, a great example of a, of a club product, you know, where he started at a young age. I think he started his playing recreation in, in you know, Castle, which was the former NCFC youth, uh, as it turned into NCFC and everything, and spent all this time coming through the academy. Um, he was in training with the first team when he was, you know, 16, 17, um, and then signed at, at 18, you know, and, and uh, was a little bit more featured in, in the 2015 or 2021 season um, with the roster that we had in, in the move, you know, initially to, to League One and, and, and had some really uh, promising appearances and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, but I think for him, and this kind of happens to every young player at some stage, you, you need to leave the, the environment that you've been in for, for so long and, and for him to have been in the club for, you know, 15 years and it, it's just crazy, you know, so I think it's time to experience something else and get into a new environment and, and kind of be out of the, the, the comforts of home um, and out on your own and growing up a little bit for the first time. So excited to see not just on the field, but off the field, how, how, how Cole kind of takes this opportunity and, and runs with it. Cool. Very nice. And yeah, that kind of works right into um, another question. Um, so you were the uh, assistant coach and academy director for NCFC from 2006 to 2021. Um, how big of an importance to you is building that academy system and how important do you think it is to the league as a whole for these teams to be building sound academy systems to be able to bring homegrown players up and then bring them into the league? No, I think it's massive. Um, you know, first on the on the resume point, I think they've got it wrong. You know, I, I started with with Castle, you know, former NCFC in 2006, but certainly wasn't the assistant coach for the for the pro team at that stage and wasn't the academy director until 2013. Um, but I think that's also kind of part of, of my evolution, which is you know, parallel towards uh, player development. You know, for me, it's been coach development um, and having the opportunity to, to kind of move up into different areas within the youth club and then have opportunities in 2012 for the first time uh, coming in with the Carolina Railhawks at that, that, that time as kind of a assistant coach that would come in and pick up cones and, and just observe and kind of see what the environment looked like and, and, and try at that moment to initiate having more of our academy players starting to come into that environment and then it's kind of taken uh, years of, of advancement of, of getting it to, to the point that it's at now where it's a staple of our our professional club is knowing that we have academy players that are coming into the to the training environment we have opportunities for players that um that merit and, and earn opportunities to sign professional contracts um but i think you know what we want to stand for is is opportunity and development and i think like you said it's critical for for clubs that, that want to have a long tenure you know that, that want to have a long standing to, to have a connected academy that's you know producing players year after year and, and all that and i think you know ncfc youth is, is the largest youth club in the, in the united states i don't know if you guys know that but it's sixteen thousand players uh in one youth club and i think there's other ones that are affiliates that have you know uh, locations in different states and that kind of stuff that are connected but for us we're the single largest um, but why that's relevant is, you know, there's a massive foundation, but we have to make sure we're doing right by the, by the top end players that are in that academy program. So giving them tangible opportunities into, into the first team and, um, you know, not giving them anything, but, but allowing them to earn things. 
um, I think is important. And then that, that also speaks towards the, the, the players that come in, the, the pro guys that have years of experience. And, you know, you get different personalities and guys that are, that are not bothered by the academy guys coming in. And then you have others that, you know, they're solely focused on winning games and, and their careers and that kind of thing. And so for us, it's, it's important when we're recruiting players to come to NCFC that they, they know what we stand for and what it's going to be like and how it is. And um, I think the culture of this year's group has been, has been really great. You know, when we have young players come in that there's a lot of guys that you see talking to them on the side and spending time with them in the locker room or right off the field after training and trying to give them advice and, uh, and thoughts. And that's, that's one of the best, best things that I can see as a coach is, is kind of generations of players learning off one another and, and taking the time to be respectful in, in that way too. So. And so for people that are watching or listening, uh, the merger that he's uh, talking about is happened in 2017 and it happened between Capital Area Soccer League uh, and Triangle Football uh, Club Alliance. And they merged and they're now the North Carolina FC youth. And it brought coaches, it brought resources, it brought facilities. So this has been a huge development. And I'm glad that you said that you uh, it's grown to 16,000 because the last figure I found was that it was right around 14,000 but still the biggest mm -hmm. in the country. And obviously you spoke to how pivotal it's been to the success uh, for NCFC, you know, in terms of uh, recruitment and just overall success. Um, when you're talking to players or parents, if they approach you about, you know, uh, expressed interest in joining NCFC, what is your elevator speech to sort of solidify, you know, their application to the academy. Yeah, I mean, I think being able to reference some of the players that we've had that, that are either currently in the roster and are, are getting opportunities. I mean, Nick Holiday is an easy one that comes to mind. You know, Nick Holiday, 17-year-old goalkeeper, is the only 17-year-old that's starting in uh, in a professional league regularly. You know, in the United States at the, at the stage he's at. But um, I think for young players to be able to see someone who, who joined our academy at 12 years old was in the first team environment by 14 and, and signed a professional contract when he turned 15, it speaks to the opportunity that, that the academy has afforded for, for those players that earn it. Um, and so I, I think that's one part of it, you know, the professional thing. But the other thing is for our academy, a lot of pride that we take in, in other outcomes and pathways. We have a, a phenomenal record of producing college players that, that go on and play collegiately. Um, and then either join professionally after that or join the, the, the workforce and become better people through that. Um, but I think that, that what we're trying to represent from the academy standpoint is that you're going to grow, you're going to develop, you're going to have opportunities. We're going to play in multiple leagues uh, and we're going to be tied in with professional first team that, that can challenge players as, as they have opportunities too. you know, we also have the USL two team, uh, NCFC to U23 is what we call it. Um, but it's not necessarily U23. We're kind of like the Atletico Bilbao of USL2, where we it's either you are a former NCFC Academy player, and now you're in college, you've come back to us over the summer, or you're a current Academy player. And we give a lot of opportunities to our U19 and U17 players in that USL2 league because it's such a stretch. It's such a challenge to play against, you know, 22, 23 players that have had three, four years of college experience playing in the league. And so, um, you know, it's a, it's a calculated effort from, from top to bottom in terms of youth all the way up to the pro to understand that it, development doesn't always put you in first place in every league you play in, but it's, it's affording these opportunities to the, these young players to be challenged and stretched. And Nick Holiday even had some, you know, save of the week uh, contenders even two years ago. I mean, if you're saying that he's, you know, 17, 18 years, years old right now, I mean, this guy was getting save of the week uh nominations back when i mean he was learning how to drive a car <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely and and what we've tried to get away from was was you know in 20 
2021 when he would get get moments within games you know obviously we've kind of uh, grown his his numbers of matches that he's had over the last three years and everything but we, we didn't want him facing uh i think his first start at chattanooga he he faced a record number of shots in the first game or something like that i think it was like 17 <laughs> shots or something crazy and so we're going okay this is not exactly you know the the, the trial by fire immediately kind of thing to to do but you know, there's there's a lot to be said for a young man that can step into an environment and, and still be 15 years old and everything that comes with that, but uh, face the challenges that he's had and, and grown with it, you know, and his maturity has grown, his ability to um, understand what it means to be a part of a locker room versus just a young player that's happy to be there. Um, but now there's a little bit more weight on his shoulders. But yeah, Nick, Nick, is, Nick is a special young man and, and um, you know, he's got a bright future ahead of him for sure. Definitely does. And I mean, you can kind of see that um, his development over the last like few years just kind of speaks to um, your coaching and your coaching staff. Um, because the, I mean, the difference between when he first came onto the league and now, I mean, he's, he's a completely different goalkeeper, but still has that, that edge that those, some of those younger guys do have that maybe some of the more seasoned players don't. No, I totally agree. And I think the the biggest um, growth area we've seen with with Nick, I think with with young goalkeepers specifically, because it's such an individual position, right, within the team, you see the amount of pressure they get under and then the ability just to clear the ball, go long almost every time. And and, and that's kind of the safety response, right? But I think Nick has, has really grown in terms of his, the ball at his feet and us being able to use him in, in possession buildup and, and making good choices, especially in transition and under pressure. Uh, and he's going to continue to get stuff wrong for sure. That's part of it. Um, but I think where he is now to, to where he was a couple of years ago, and uh, I probably play a, a very small role in that. It's more Mike McGinty and the, the goalkeeping staff and his teammates and everybody else that's working with him and the other goalkeepers, Tor Saunders and Trevor Mulqueen that are that are with him, you know, this year. And, and he's had great people with him over the last couple of years as, as well um, that he's been able to learn from and everything. But yeah, it's, 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 it's fun to watch him and, um, like I said, a bright future ahead and, and he turns 18 in January of, of this coming year, you know, and so kind of part of our uh, obviously long term plan for him is that there'll, there'll be a destination for him as he moves on. And, you know, we don't want him playing at, at North Carolina FC and USL League One for, for 10 years. It's the idea is to, to get experience and opportunity and, and then take the next next uh, kind of step in his pathway as, as things move on. And I mean, you've been a, a figment around that that club for, like Brian said, since 2006. And there's a there's a, a culture that's around North Carolina, and you've hinted at it, you know, time and time again um, in this interview, talking about growth and development and, you know, growing from a youth player into a professional player and gaining that maturity. How difficult was it being a part of the staff that was implementing that culture? And how did you define what culture meant to you and the club? No, that's a good question. I mean, I think... You know, in, in 2021, the club makes the decision to go from USL Championship to USL League One. It gives us an opportunity to further cement the, the connection between the academy and the, and the first team because the, the, the League One, is, I think, suited our club more at that, at that time as we were trying to go towards you know, more young players coming in. Um, and so, again, as you're recruiting players that, that are not at the 16, 17, 18-year-old, they might be the 24, 25, 26-year-old that really wants to, to use the professional season to, to hopefully move up into a higher league or, or whatever it may be for them. I think being very direct and very honest about who we are and what we're trying to be 
um, is the starting point. You know, what you don't want to do is, is have a bunch of veterans come in and, and then be shocked and surprised of the, of the young guys that are in and around because then it's going to be, you know, you, we didn't know it was going to be like this and, and we don't like this or whatever. So um, and then, you know, fast forward to, to the year we're in now where I think it's a it's a better blend of, you know, quality players that, that do have some experience and more years kind of on their on their resume mixed with with young players. Um, and I think a lot of that is is the, the club model of where we're going. But part of that, too, is um, being competitive again. You know, I, I think in 2021 it was it was partly of you know, youth development and all that. And it was partly coming out of COVID and, and knowing that, that, that what's the attendance going to look like, what are the finances going to look like, all that kind of stuff. And so I think this year uh, it's been a better uh, roster support blend in terms of, of who we tried to recruit. And, and certainly when you look at the, the table, it's, you know, people think that I'm doing a great job. It's, you know, it's just get better players and, and have an opportunity to, um, to, to have them grow and, and connect with one another and that kind of thing. So um, I think that's kind of the evolution of it, but just being direct and honest about who we are and then just letting that mission kind of guide our daily activity. You know, it, it's just knowing that whether it's in the academy and this is our mission, what we're trying to do and, and playing players up, you know, we've got players on our, our 13s that play up with the 15s and, and it's the same premise of a player that's on the 19s that plays up with the first team. And so, you know, you see this at every step of the, of the kind of connection between the academy and the first team and, uh, it just, it, like you said, it kind of goes goes with the with the club's reputation and what we've tried to do. And um, I've tried to learn from from so many great people, you know, that I've worked with at NCFC since 2006, and kind of seeing as the U.S. soccer landscape evolves, you know, whether it was the U.S. Soccer Development Academy and then different leagues and youth national teams and things that have kind of changed over the last 15 years. Um, but our clubs just try to 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 you know be able to be agile and that and that kind of. Um, landscape, but at the same time, stay true to what mission we have for our players. So, but it's been, it's been really exciting and I, I feel very fortunate to have the longevity I do, I've had at this club and uh, I look forward to, to another 17 years. <laughs> so, I mean, a part of building that culture that you guys are doing, um, obviously there's going to be things that you have to do with the team to uh, build that kind of bond together. Is there any activity um that you favor as maybe your favorite team bonding activity? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the guys spend a good amount of time, uh, you know, in and amongst each other. They, they All of the player apartments are at the same place. And even the guys that have wives or, uh, or whatever have chosen to kind of still be in that same complex where they, they don't have to be, they could be at different places. But I think that speaks towards the group and what they, they like to do. Uh, as far as team bonding, I mean, I'm, I'm, I think old school in the, in, in the way that, you know, a nice team dinner at the beginning of preseason, get, get everybody together and, and then find the moments where, um, you know, it's a, it's a good moment within this stretch of games or this stretch of the season to step off the field, get together in some kind of activity and, and, and do something, whether that's a meal or, or whatever. But, um, but yeah, I, it, it, the other part of it is, is, is allowing the players to lead that. You know, I, th I think, you know, for me as a coach, um, having a voice in the right moments is, is extremely important to me. You know, if you, if you're the guy that's all the time, you know, you're on them on the field, I want to, but then you're getting them together all the time off the field. Sometimes it's, it's kind of overkill. And so for me, the, the organic ability to have the players know what it means when we're on the field inside the lines, this is what it's like. But when we're out, you know, they, I think they all know that our staff is there for, for them in every way possible. Uh, but we also encourage them to, to set the culture for how it is, you know, because the best locker rooms that I've been a part of are those where the players are genuinely interested in, in, in one another and spend time with each other off the field. And then that obviously plays its role in terms of, of what you see on the field. When you're in the locker room with the players, do they ever let you take control of the aux cable for the locker room music? 
<laughs> uh, no, they don't. Um, and to be fair, it's we, we've got a lot of really quality DJs. So, you know, we, we've, we've got our own little separate place um, that's right around the corner from the locker room. It's a little coach's, coach's office kind of thing. So every now and then we'll get our own music going. And um, there's, there's a pretty drastic difference between what we're listening to and what I'm hearing in the locker room. So we're going to let them keep going with it. <laughs> So, uh, coach, as far as this year, um, you guys have gotten off to a, a really hot start. Um, and the difference between 2021 and this season, um, or excuse me, 2022 and this season, at first, uh, let's see, I had it right here with me. Sorry about that. I had it written down at work, and let me find the exact numbers that I have. Okay, so for 2022, you guys started the season in your first 12 matches, 5-2-5, five, and five, with 18 goals allowed and a minus one goal differential. This season, you've started off 7-1-4 and four, with 14 goals allowed and a plus three goal differential. And is that something, was this defense something that you emphasized um, coming into this season? that has kind of propelled you off to this start that you guys are in right now, sitting in first place in the league? I think so. I mean, a hundred percent in terms of what we identified, we wanted to go out and recruit and, and then, you know, bringing those players in and that kind of thing. And, and so you look at um, that. And then part of that too, is also who do you retain, you know, from, from 2022 that are, were important pieces that are getting better and, and that kind of thing. And so, you know, Gustavo Fernandez, Nelson Flores, Chris Lou Young, we're all part of the team. Um, last year and, and, and you can see them growing and developing and getting better and, and, and that kind of thing. And then being very specific to bring in uh, the players that we did, you know, Dana Navarro, DJ Benton, uh, W. Garcia, you know, came to us on trial at the beginning and did really well, um, you know, and, and, and others, you know, Max Flick was an important player that we brought back from last year as well. So I know I'm missing some guys, but, um, you know, collectively in the back line, you know, we, we feel like we've strengthened it and we feel like, the, you know, the hope is that the, the way that they defend and everything, protects Nick, you know, as, as, a, as a young goalkeeper who's developing and, and, and learning behind him. Um, but also it gets a little bit contagious. And so, you know, the conversations I was having with Mikey Maldonado, for example, um, who played a couple different positions for, for Madison in North Texas the year before. But for me, I see him exactly how he's being like right now. I see him as one of the best defensive midfielders in the league that, that covers a lot of ground and, and his ability to close space and, 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 and do things. And, and that thing, I think I feel like it gets contagious. You know, asking guys that kind of came in that are not known for their defending to be high pressing. You know, it's it's you know, you, when you think of Minson again, you don't think of Rafa defending. You don't think of Louis defending. You think of them on the ball and that kind of stuff. And so trying to make them more two way player where, of course, we want to enjoy the, the what they bring uh, on the ball. But also understanding that if we're going to be aggressive and create opportunities in the opposition's half, everyone has to work and everyone has to, to be able to press, you know, connected and, and together and, and all that. Um, you know, they have guys like Olex and, and Garrett that can that can lead the line as well and, and their pressure and Preston, and, you know, and get, the list goes on. But, you know, when we think of our players, we, we don't just think of them with the ball and the things they can do, but the collective idea to be a, a solid defensive unit with whatever 11 players we have on the field is, is the concept. And I think there's, there's a level of disappointment right now just in the last couple of games, obviously, in terms of goals allowed and, and you know, everything from, from where we feel like we're capable of performing and, and where we have been. So, um, you know, but we all know it's a long season. You're not going to, you're not going to be at your best every single moment. So for, for the guys, I think the messaging is continued to be, that's what wins games, you know? And I think, you know, game before last, we go up to Knoxville and, and I thought had a very strong defensive performance in terms of, of keeping the shutout and keeping the, the chances limited. 
um, and then up at Madison, we, you know, we weren't at our best and, and, and it showed. So it's pretty clear. We, we defend well, we, we, we achieve more. And, and I think the guys understand that. So you were pretty uh, humble about some of the players that you mentioned. Now let's talk about the pivotal day that really kicked North Carolina's uh, season into gear. And that was league one day one where North Carolina FC turned a lot of heads with a lot of their, the announced signings that they had that day. How did the conversation go with club owner Steve Malik uh, when you told him that you wanted to sign players like Louis Perez, Daniel Navarro, Shaq Adams, and then exercise the options on some of those other high-profile players? Like you said, Olex Anderson, Shaq Adams, um, Nick Holiday, Nelson Flores Blanco, Christian Liu Young, uh, Jane Cervania, Garrett McLaughlin. I mean, the list goes on and on. If you look at that list and you presented that proposal to the club owner, how did that conversation go? Yeah, well, I mean, first and foremost, both Steve Malik and, and then Kurt Johnson, who's, you know, head of soccer for uh, for us, you know, have been extremely supportive, you know, and, and, and throughout this process, been able to, to have very good dialogue and conversation about what we were trying to do. And uh, and again, I think the, the idea of becoming more competitive this year and, and, and surrounding uh, our, our group and, and the roster makeup, not not being so many young guys. I think there's a balance that you have to create where it's it's it's, you know, a blend of, of young players that need to develop. But you can't roll out, you know, six, seven under 20s, you know, that are still finding their own experience in a, in a starting 11 and, and, and expect to, to have quality. And I think, you know, we, we've seen that over the last couple of years where we would have great starts to games. And then every, you know, it was like Groundhog's Day, you know, 65th minute you look down and see whoever you're playing against the three guys they're bringing in and we're bringing in three Academy guys or younger players. And, and it is what it is. And I found a lot of joy in giving players debuts and that kind of thing. But uh, I think for this year's team, it's, it's a bit different. It's, it's, it's clearly much deeper. Um, and you know, sometimes these off season builds kind of have domino effects that, that um, lend one player to, to want to come to, 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 to us just based on one of his teammates or somebody he respects joining the group. And so the first thing was who's or whose options do we exercise? You know, and like you said, the, the list of quality players that come back, everybody kind of goes, okay, it's a good core. And then if I think Navarro was the first one that, 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 uh, you know, that we signed, um, and then Danny's talking to me, he's like, you know, I think we got a chance to get Rafa if you want Rafa to come. I was like, yeah, I'd like Rafa to come. Um, yeah, you know, so might, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We would, we would, we'll go have that conversation with Rafa. So, but it, it, it became, you know, and then I think as it was going on and a lot of these guys, I mean, league one, it's, it's all the clubs have players that are ambitious, you know? And so the off season always kind of becomes, how can you help support players that if they do get an opportunity to play at a higher league, you know, for us, we want to support that, you know, I don't want players here. That, that have opportunities elsewhere, elsewhere and, and be able to move up because that's who we are and that's what we stand for. And obviously that, that that's all within reason. But um, I think as we had to kind of let things play out with certain other players that had some opportunities in USL championships, you know, had some interest, but maybe didn't pan out exactly like they wanted it to. Um, and it just kind of happened at different speeds. But yeah, I mean, it's like you said, you know, you, you sign one, you bring back the players that you do and all of a sudden Louis becomes interested. All of a sudden Mikey becomes interested and, and, and others, you know, and, and um, you know, throughout the whole, whole off season, we were just having great conversations with these players about what we were trying to build and in, in the year that we thought we could have, uh, and still, you know, obviously super excited about the, the remaining 20 games, you know, there's a ton of season to play, uh, but with this group that we have and how they're all going to be able to contribute, uh, in different ways throughout different moments. So, um, so this season is the first time an NCFC player has been recognized as player of the month. And that was Rafa Mensing in, in April. Um, there's yet to be any NCFC players recognized on the first or second all league teams at the end of the season. 
how many players on your team do you think are going to get on those teams this season after the run you've had so far? So you're saying no NCFC players made either first or second team last year? Correct. I thought, I thought Garrett did. Um, um, but I could be wrong. Anyhow, um, I would tell you that I think all of the guys, you know, there, there's a certain uh, level of, of interest in, in those kinds of awards, and that's kind of what it is. You know, I, I think that the way that we look at it, and, and obviously the messaging for what we do, is not who's going to get player of the week, who's going to get player of the month, that kind of stuff. I mean, it's nice to be recognized and all that, but I think the guys want to play well, they want to win games, and they want at the end of the year for the, their body of work to be what what other clubs and higher levels will look at and say, we need to recruit this player, we need to do that, or, or whatever it may be. Um, I, I would love it if we have guys all over those teams, you know, because that means that we've been successful and we've, we've done that, but that's, uh, I don't think, the, the the singular focus of what it is. And I just double-checked that stat, and yes, you are correct, uh, John. Uh, Garrett McLaughlin was a first-teamer last season. I thought so. Yeah. Well, now, speaking of some of the the other uh, players that have joined, you know, there are several players on your team who are, you know, being called up to international duty. I mean, look at just recently, Jane Cervania was called up to Puerto Rico. You had Nelson Flores Blanco uh, playing for El Salvador last uh, year. Oaks Anderson, um, and then Raheem uh, Somersault. So what is it like being in the locker room knowing that you have guys that are being hyped up so much uh, that are being called up to, you know, represent their their country on, on the biggest stage? No, I think it's fantastic. And it just speaks towards the, the quality, not just in our club, but across the league, to be honest. You know, you, you I, I love when I see not just our guys that are getting opportunities, but you look across the league and see different players at different clubs that are uh, having international opportunities. And, and it just speaks to the quality overall. Um, I think for our four guys, I mean, Jaden's away right now with Puerto Rico. Raheem's uh, away with, with St. Kitts and Nevis. And, and you know, Oleg has, has been recently with St. Vincent and Grenadines and everything. And then Flores right now is, is waiting on some some travel documents to, to get finalized for him to be able to go and join El Salvador probably either uh, early next week or, or right then thereafter. Um, so, I mean, for us, it, it's fantastic. And I, and I think that these players, the opportunities they get, the development that comes with playing in these type games and these types of environments, uh, there's no replacement for it. You know, so I, I think they look at it as great opportunities. We're certainly supportive of it. Um, it gives opportunities for other players while they're uh, away, you know, and, and, and other players have opportunities to step up and hopefully make the most of, of those moments uh, and build and grow on them. Um, and then when the, when the guys come back from international duty, you can always tell a, a, an uptick in, you know, the, the, the training quality and, and kind of the, the feel about everything of, of what's going on. So I think at, at, at good clubs, you're going to have that problem um, and it's a good problem to have. And uh, can I ask you, John, too, is how exactly does that uh, process work if they're getting called up to the national team? Like, do the federations reach out to you guys ahead of time to find out if they're going to be available for that? Do you, Is it something where you have to release them if they ask? No, I don't think you have to release them. Um, and, you know, we, we've tried to be very supportive and, and, and flexible in, in terms of what we've done. I mean, you know, the, the, the usual process is that you'll get a – a letter from the Federation, an email, you know, with a with an invitation that says we're, we're calling in so and so, would you release him for these dates and that kind of thing. And, and you know, 99% of the time, there's there's not even a thought. And it's just, yeah, of course, you know, we'll, we'll support it. And sometimes there's a, okay, well, you want him to come on Saturday, but we have a game on Saturday, can he come on Sunday type thing, you know, simple little logistic stuff. Um, 
you know, and, and there's been specific players that I have felt deserved opportunities with the, with the nationalities they represent that haven't been getting called to the national teams. And so sometimes I take it upon myself to reach out directly to the federation, kind of give the whole, you don't know me, but I've got a player that's, that, that, that either has represented your, your country previously or should have an opportunity to represent. And, and, you know, a few of the guys that have gotten called in, I think has, has gotten the ball rolling from, from that standpoint as well. So uh, it's certainly something that we want to, want to help support these players because, you know, you blink and, and all of a sudden your playing days are over. And so as much awesome opportunities and good quality as you can, as you can get into it, we want to have that happen for our guys. And uh, who are some of those players that you've reached out to the federations? I'll keep that with, with, with ah. me. You know. <laughs> I'll keep that with me. You know, I, uh, I, so... I, but, but it, but every time a player gets called in, it's awesome. You know, it's great for the group and it's good for, for them individually. And you mentioned an uptick in their performance, you know, in training and all that kind of stuff when they return from international duty. Do you ever work with those federations to develop any sort of a, um, a training protocol for these players, uh, either leading up to uh, their appearance or afterwards preparing them for the next stage in, uh, in their development? Yeah, and I think it's it's federation specific. You know, it's country specific, basically, as to you know some countries aren't bothered by what we're doing here, and and they just want their player for the, the time being. And others are thinking about it, kind of like you're saying. You know, if if, if their competitive calendar that they're going to have a camp for is going to include these two games, um, you know, how do we build into that, or how do we also manage minutes so that we're maybe we're not putting a guy on a plane the next morning after having played 95 minutes or or whatever it may be. Um, so we can kind of talk through that with, with specific federations and, and figure it out. I'm going through the list of questions that we have here, and it seems like we're covering quite a few of them within these answers. So we're just yeah. trying to find one. <laughs> Let's see. Okay. Um, I'll kind of ask this one too. Um, this time last season, uh, NCFC was in fourth place, uh, down from second place in week 12. But by the end of the season, NCFC was sitting at the bottom of the table. Um, is there an intangible feel around the club like this season is different? And is that something that the fans would be able to buy into? And um, I guess just kind of a, a, a pitch as to why the fans should continue to believe because obviously you guys are still doing a great job and you guys are getting, getting it done on the field. Um, but is there anything that you would like to say to the fans just to, um, for maybe some of the people that have questions like, Oh, is this going to continue or anything like that? Yeah, no, I mean, I think there's no, there's no replacement for proving it on the field, you know? And so for us, I think we look at it as, as every game we have to go out and we, we're going to take a lot of, of other teams' best shots and, and that kind of stuff, and we're looking forward to those challenges. But we have to continue to to prove it, you know. And and I think in in you know last year, like you said, second place, and and there was a moment where everybody's kind of going, okay, so this is not like 2021, you know, this is 2022, and it's going to be better, you know. And then we had a three-game road stretch where we're out to Fuego and and lose a, a kind of weird one, and then we're at Greenville midweek and we lose. We had Richmond on the Saturday and lose, and I think you know within seven days, we, we had gone, you know, down to, to whatever we were on the table, but uh, there was just a different feeling. And I don't know that we had the right, uh, the total kind of, uh, I guess, feeling within the locker room to be able to handle that and, and, and work ourselves through it where 
this group is is it is different. It's like you said, you know, and, and you can you can sense that um, the expectation is to to be able to continue to push forward in every moment and, and be competitive in every game. And and you know the the, the expectations that we have on ourselves are, are high. Um, and so I, I don't know that we had those in the last two years. And and so that is a bit different in terms of how we're looking at it. But I like I said at the beginning, I think for the fans. You know, it's they're going to appreciate all that. That's all going to be great. Go win games, you know, and, and I think that's what we have to go do. And, and um, you know, obviously we're looking at you know, I've got one eye on the, the Lexington game tonight and, and seeing how they're going and, and preparing for Sunday. And uh, but it'll be nice after kind of a, an extended away uh, stretch that we'll be back at our home field on, on Sunday and um, look to get a result against Lexington and my good buddy Stocks. Um, but yeah, so I think for us, we just got to continue to, to prove how our season's going to go by, by each game, uh, one at a time. And speaking of that away stretch of, uh, matches, you're four, you're, you have four wins and you have two losses. Uh, you have, you've earned more points on the road than you have at home. How did you, how have you switched that sort of mentality to, to be so dominant on the road? Well, I mean, I think, again, it, it's it's helping the players prove to themselves what they're capable of doing, you know, and we've had strong starts in certain games. And obviously the Omaha game comes to mind when, when you know, within five minutes, it's it's a certain way because we, we've started off on the front foot and, and things have been going in, in, in that direction. But um, there's a belief of the group that, that no matter where we are, we feel we can be competitive and be successful, you know, and I think as the pendulum swings over the course of the season, um, we're going to win more games at home. We're going to be more successful at home and, and that kind of thing. Um, and, and having the ability to, to also look back on in terms of results we've already gotten on the road and look at the calendar for the rest of the year and be able to say, well, we've won there before. We've shown ourselves we can do that. Or, you know, this is very similar to so-and-so, you know, and, and figuring that out. Um, and I think the, the games that we've lost on the road, you know, have been obviously close and competitive and all that. And, and uh, it's, 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 it's somewhat similar. You know, Madison didn't feel like a 3 nothing game this past weekend, but you look up the scoreboard and it's 3-0, right? They've had three shots and three goals, and, uh, and we weren't effective in, in terms of how we finished plays and that kind of thing and, uh, you know, whatever. But it's always a learning moment, and it's always something that if you're going into the next game feeling like you have belief, that's, that's everything. In CONCACAF nature, uh, have you experienced any of the the away trip, uh, I don't know, antics that you commonly hear about, uh, you know, in hotel rooms and blocking off roads and all that kind of stuff? No, none of that. You know, I, I think mo most of the things in our league that would be any kind of away travel kind of stuff would be. I don't think at the fault of anybody, but just kind of how it works out. You know, if, if you've got the tiny locker room and, and the other team has the nice massive locker room, then that's, you know, based on the facilities that they have, that's always fun. Um, you know, but we're, we're big believers in embrace all the challenges, put them all together, you know, make it that much more that you got to overcome or whatever it may be. But now nobody's, nobody's giving me a little alarm clock at four in the morning or, or sent the, the, the vodka or whatever to, to the room. So we, we haven't had that yet. So we'll see. <laughs> Did you ever experience any of that when you were playing for the national team, the youth national team? Nah, not as much. I mean, we got to, we got to travel and play in some really great places. Um, we had our World Cup qualifying. This is a long time ago. This is 96. We had our U17 World Cup qualifying in, in Trinidad and Tobago. And I do remember that there were Trinidad and Tobago fans and everything kind of in and around our our, uh, our hotel and, and not trying to let us sleep and the whole thing before we played Trinidad and Tobago. Um, you know, but yeah, minor stuff. It, it's not the stuff you see on, on Sky Sports and, and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And okay, so I got to ask this 
So you have the academy that has 16,000 players. You have a, a successful, you know, USL2 team. You have a successful USL1 team. Are there any internal discussions of NCFC self-promoting back to USL championship and, you know, maintaining a USL1 club at the same time? Well, that's okay. Yeah, I think that's kind of a two-part question. I, I think there's there's definitely internal dialogue about what the what the future of the club is, and and I won't be specific because that's for our owners and, and front office to to say. But it, absolutely, you know, there, there there's a reason to to that, that the club made a movement to USL League One. I think there's a reason to stay in League One, but then there's also the opportunity to to look at what we want the the future to be for the club as well. So I think that's one, you know, and, and absolutely, I think it's a club that's that's not closed-minded. It's not okay. We're just going to do this, and, and we're not just thinking about the now. We're planning for the future, and and when does that moment happen? And making sure that you're ready for whatever that transition is to whatever it becomes. Um, to have a championship and a League One team. Uh, I don't know that the, the I mean, I, I, it's, I've, I've heard the idea before, but at the same time, I don't know that it's something that, that, that we would actually ever see, you know, to pull that off would be interesting, you know, and, and, and the fan base alone would be, you'd have to be very clear as to what each club was, what the, what the purpose of each team was, right? You know, this, this group's trying to win games, this group's trying to win, develop players, and, and what's the overlap between the two and that kind of thing. So uh, it would be unique. It would be the first, right, that has a, a championship at League One under one umbrella, but uh, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. And uh, the TST 7v7 tournament was in uh, Wakemed Soccer Complex. Did you get to go to any of the, the games? Yeah, so we, we, we were away at Knoxville that weekend. So the tournament started on Thursday. We had training Thursday morning. Um, you know, all the players and, and coaches were able to kind of walk over after our training, which is one of the fields that was kind of you didn't see on TV. Uh, we were on field seven away from everybody else. But uh, as soon as we were done, yeah, we got, went out and, and watched it and just pleasantly surprised as to what I thought it was going to look like and what it ended up looking like. It was a great event. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of passion played in the games. The, the target time rule, I didn't understand at all until I saw it live. And then I was like, this is awesome. You know, like, um, and, you know, we got to, we got to watch games uh, Thursday and then we were on the bus Friday uh, and then not back until after the final concluded on Sunday. Um, but the other part for me that was really great, obviously, we had an NCFC Legends team that played. There's a lot of guys that, that have been at Carolina Railhawks and North Carolina FC um, that I had an opportunity to, to, to work with, and, and a lot of them are still in the area. And then there was also a Raleigh Rebels team, which was basically a lot of kids that had come through either Castle or, or North North Carolina FC Academy or TFCA, you know, that kind of stuff. But a lot of local local people that had great soccer ties. So being able to watch them now a bit older and playing in this environment and that kind of stuff was really cool. That's cool. Did and you, the Duke Sevens too. I, I, I should keep them in the, the conversation. We had a few few guys that were on the Duke Sevens as well. Oh, nice. Did you challenge uh, Ocho Cinco to a race? <laughs> I did not. I don't think he was there. I didn't see him Thursday. You know, we, we oh, were didn't? keeping our eyes peeled for No. But then all of a sudden I saw social media. He was there. So I must have missed him. I saw Chris Paul. I saw some of these other uh, guys. And, and obviously Dempsey's around our area as it is. So we knew he was uh, going to be there. But I mean, the, the immediate turnaround for the facility, you know, like Sunday night, they, they had already removed the entire stadium field, which oh, wow. is planned. They do it every, yeah, they do it every summer, you know, they resod and, and get the rye out and bring the Bermuda in and that kind of thing. But they had already removed like the town of Cary facilities guys, unbelievable. And the fields two and three, where all the other fields that were outside the stadium there, I mean, we were training on the field three today and it's just amazing how quickly they can get this, this, this stuff to bounce back. 
uh, and all that. But I'm hearing that they're going to try to bring it back again next year. I'm hearing they're trying to raise it to five million instead of one million. Uh, they're trying to expand it, have regional qualifiers throughout the country, maybe even the world, that then lead it to the to the big thing uh, there. So I think they they certainly have found something that people like, and they're going to run with it. Very cool. Super cool. Brian, you got any questions? Um, I think the only question that I have left in my head is, uh, what were your thoughts about that second game for Union Omaha at Coniglia Field with all the hail coming down on top of the everybody <laughs> out there? Uh, I didn't know it was hailing until we left the locker room and started walking down and all of a sudden you kind of come out from the overhang and you're like, is that, oh yeah, that's that, you know, and, <laughs> and, and, and immediately, but you know, again, we, we had talked about, like I said, embracing the challenge of a road trip. I think in, in league one, you, you take a road trip and you're going to have a, you know, a lot of things go right. You know, a lot of things go wrong and, and you can't let any of that affect how you step onto the field. And, uh, I thought our players, I mean, that game was a, a, a great start for us, right? You know, we get a, we get a PK straight away and, and, and convert and then, you know, stay on the front foot and be able to go. But I think all those little things, if you take them in the right way, the hail helps you, you know, the, the bad weather helps you. And then, then the, the guys screaming helps you and whatever. Um, so we try to try to embrace all the challenges. Well, let's turn our attention to this weekend's match when you uh, play Lexington. Um, they just won this evening against Chattanooga. Uh, this is a, a Lexington team that's uh, that's churning some results. How do you feel about that matchup? Yeah, no, Lexington's a good team, and and they're getting better. And you can you can see it in their results. You can see it in the way they play. Uh, Sam does a good job, you know, and, and, and I think their roster, they've, they've made a few additions and had a few guys get healthy that maybe weren't healthy at the beginning of the year. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's going to be a big challenge for us on, on Sunday. We you know one that we're looking forward to and one that we're up for, for sure, but, um, they have qualities, you know, and again, I think it speaks towards the depth of the league and everybody written off Fuego, um, you know, like they were never going to win a game this year or something crazy like that. And, and, and Carrera Garcia gets, gets back in the lineup and gets, you know, because he was a guy we were after in the offseason as well and had great conversations with him. But, um, yeah, I think I, there is no, you know, there is no bad team in the league. And I think they're all growing. And Lexington's a great example of, of where they're at and where they're finished. It's probably not the same where they're at right now. And when you play at Wake Med, since it's such a big field, does do you obviously like all, I mean I, I have to believe that you throw that factor into your game plan and into your, the style of play that you um, approach the the match with is that is that right? No, absolutely. I mean, you have to think of each field, and, and our home field I think is the nicest field in the in the league to be honest, and and I think it's the the you know most wide open. Um, Every time we have we have a home game, you know, you see the opponent walking around with their phones on the stadium field and 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 taking videos of how awesome they think the field is. And so, immediately, you know, from a player standpoint, they're the opponent's going to be up for it because they're playing in a in a great place, um, and they they like the surface, they like the field, all that kind of stuff. And I do think that, you know, take teams that play on on like in Omaha when they're when they're at the baseball field, you know, last year, and and then all of a sudden now they're coming into a larger field. I think it does tweak, you know, what you can expect to to have an opponent, how they're going to play. Um, not only on their side of things, but then what can you affect to be, how, how can you expect to be effective, um, you know, knowing that, that they might defend a little differently on a larger space and that kind of thing. And so, yeah, we absolutely take into account our field and uh, where we feel we can be effective and that kind of thing. It's like, for example, we have a lot of pace, you know, up front. So if there's more grass and more room to, to run, then, you know, it depends on how the defense is, is, is sorted out for the opposition. But we feel like our field gives us opportunities to, 
you know, you're going to see Olex getting behind more often on our, on our field than you are on, on one of the, the college turf fields or something like that. Yep. So you have, you know, players over at Lexington, like Amal Knight and goal. You have Tate Robertson on the back line. You have uh, Diouf on the, the top line the, uh, with the forwards. Which matchup are you looking forward to, to watching or observing the most? I don't have a, a, a single matchup that's going to be there. I mean, I think collectively they're a good group. I mean, and you look how uh, stocks sorted out tonight. I mean, to be able to bring in uh, Balagoon at halftime and, and and all of a sudden, you know, the defenders on the um, Chattanooga or whoever they're playing, they get used to a certain thing with, with Will for, for 45 minutes and then you bring in a, a different type player. You know, in that moment, I just think it, it, it speaks towards the ability to manage a roster and kind of go from there. So I think for us, the main thing is going to be, you know, who do we expect to, to start and how do we think they're going to go? And then what changes do we need to make sure we're anticipating as the game goes on? Um, and so when I when I see their their team sheet on Sunday at, at 2 p.m. before the 3 p.m. kickoff, we're immediately going to have an idea to say, OK, this is where we want to try to focus and, and, and be aware of knowing that at any moment in the second half, these three changes could happen and, and, and it'll affect how we need to, to be able to adjust and make sure we're, we're prepared for that. Cool. Brian, you got anything? Um, we just have we have one question here from uh, the live chat, um, and John, feel free to answer it, or if you don't want to answer it, that's fine too. Um, but Tim from Ranting Blue Penguin Media would like to know um, who your favorite non-NCFC player in League One to watch is. Oof, good question. Um, because I'm such a, this is going to be a, a, a jaded answer but because i'm such an ncfc guy it's any of the former ncfc guys that are playing at different clubs you know so i got a chance to see screeny robert screen up at madison this past weekend um you know and, and speak with him for a second got a chance to see daniel Wu, who's came through our academy who's playing that with, with greenville triumph so anytime it's somebody that's either been in our environment from the academy standpoint or, or a former player i got to see sam brotherton up at, at madison so i tend to root for the guys that i have a little bit of a connection with and all that um, and all the guys that are, that are leading the league and doing well, I hope they continue to do so, just not against us. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, John, thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your busy day to, to sit down and chat with us for a bit. We really appreciate you, know, you taking the time to, to be a part of this episode. Yeah, no, thank you guys so much for having me. Let me know if I can do anything in the future, and uh, I'll keep watching and listening. Awesome. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Sean, and good luck the rest of the season. Yeah, good luck. Appreciate it, guys. Take care. You too. Ooh, man, that was fun. It was a good interview. John's yeah. John is a good guy. And, yeah, he's uh, a good guy. He definitely, definitely got the NCFC answer there, which I think we were all kind of expecting. But yeah, that's <laughs> that's completely fair. I'd probably say the exact same thing too. So. And I think we we have said the same thing. I mean, when we talk about Tormenta, we talk about Otieno. When we talk mm-hmm. about um, Richmond, we talk about Ani. I mean, there and Molina. I mean, there there are players, former Owls that are out there in the league that I mean, we still root for. Yeah, definitely. It's an inherent bias. Yeah, maybe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and Alex uh, posting up in the the chat's awesome work, guys. Thank you, Alex. I really appreciate it. Um, Appreciate you, Love the fact that you're still sitting there watching us and listening to us. Um, man, this, that was, that was a fun conversation. That that was really good. Um, yeah. I, when he brought up the, uh, the heckling in the, the stands, I, I purposely stayed a little bit quiet there. <laughs> Cause you were one of them. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely was. <laughs> I also loved, uh, uh, what was it, like midway through, you were just like, well, I mean, we're trying to find questions to ask you, but you've pretty much answered them all. Yeah, we looked through everything there, and <laughs> I mean, he, his answers were were really really well thought out really cohesive so i mean they were just, yeah he just went over everything where i'm like looking here as he's talking i'm looking down the outline just like nope got that nope got that nope got that damn he just yep. answers everything without even having to be asked <laughs> i didn't even send him the outline either <laughs> oh perfect even better so uh i don't know if anybody knows this but he also appeared on a uh, podcast called NC Soccer Show. Um, if you guys aren't familiar with them, go check them out because uh, the interview that he had with them was uh, also a really good one because it talked a lot about um, uh, the mentality of his of his coaching style and um, how he approaches you know players and all that kind of stuff. It was it was uh, a good one to listen to and. Um, I mean, NC Soccer Show is a good one anyways. I've listened to several other episodes, and uh, they do some good stuff over there. Mm -hmm. They definitely do. But yeah, man. Oh, man, I'm I'm still sitting here like, man, that was fun. Good interview. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and thanks for everybody in the chat, too. Um, Michael, I know we didn't get to get to all of your stuff. I didn't really want to derail the, the conversation uh, with John talking about Union Omaha stuff. So... Um, but yeah, it is Union Omaha tonight. Jeez, Union Omaha night tomorrow night at Warner for the the baseball team. Uh, I will be there. I got to go get my third third kit pride jersey tomorrow because they weren't open when I stopped there after work. At least they didn't look like they were. It's because they had a game today. Um, and apparently the Chasers are on a seven game win streak. So hopefully they can continue that tomorrow. Cool. Um, Michael Sharp also saying next Wednesday he's going to be back on track with by winning with him attending because the, when he attends Union Omaha matches in all competitions, five wins, zero losses, and one draw. So, Ooh, get that man season tickets. Michael, yeah. if you need tickets, just take mine. <laughs> we need to Stop get you missing matches because obviously the you're, stadium, you're the Michael. Piece here. <laughs> we will get you in the stadium somehow, Michael. We need <laughs> you there. That's awesome. And then Parliament needs more cowbell. I mean, yeah. if you've got a fever, that's that's the only way to get rid of it is more cowbell. Yeah. yeah. The only prescription is more cowbell. Prescription. Yeah. I was, what's the what's that actor's name? Uh, oh, Christopher Walken. Like Chris. Yeah, Chris Walken. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. And the fact that nobody else on that set could get through that entire thing without laughing even better. The only two people that didn't laugh were Christopher Walken and Will Ferrell. <laughs> yeah. For me, it was when he was like doing his hip thrust and his shirt was rising and his belly was just, <laughs> yes. <laughs> just the hair, like the assorted hair on it too. It just, Oh, and the big giant curls. When, when he got, uh, what was it? Chris Parnell's face. And he was just like, <laughs> right right up by the microphone yes so you guys didn't get this at the top half of the show so now you get it at the bottom half exactly yeah if you stuck around after the interview you get our our takes on uh saturday night live sketches 
see if we'd have done this at the beginning of the episode, John would have looked around like, oh my God, what am I John doing just, here? Yeah, he probably Getting would have just disconnected. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, guys, I got to go. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Alex says he's here for it. So. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, I don't, I don't even, I didn't prepare any of the stuff for week 13. So, I mean, yeah, just... I didn't really go, go through it too closely. So, um, but yeah. I, I think I found a cool stat. I, I kind of want to look into it a little bit more before I post anything, but if I do find it, I'll put it on our uh, Twitter page. Um, I also I, I thank you everybody for responding and uh, retweeting and all that kind of stuff. The um, the graphic that we posted what was like Monday morning or something like that mm-hmm. with the buy your your club or whatever. I'm glad we got a good response out of that. We got a lot of fun messages from it. Uh, I have another graphic that I'm going to be putting on this coming Monday. Um, Brian and I were talking about it before uh, we recorded, and uh, he thought it was a good idea. So. I'm going to shoot him a first draft of it on Sunday, get his approval, and then um, we'll put it out there again on Monday uh, morning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, aside from that, I mean, yeah, I didn't I didn't prepare any week 13 stuff, so. No. Um, yeah. I will let the listeners and everything know that next week, if, if we do a show next week, it won't be till the latter half of the week. I'm leaving on Sunday to go down to Worlds of Fun with the kids, so I will not be back until Wednesday night for the Union Omaha match. So, um, just so everybody knows ahead of time. So there you have it. Make sure you take your mics with you so you can get uh, thoughts from the water slide line. Thoughts from the water slide line. Well, yeah. see, it'll be if it's on Wednesday, it'll be the driving back home because I will be back for for the match that night. I don't want to miss. Yeah. I don't want to miss too many matches. I think I only have one more that I'm missing, but and I just want to let everybody know that this is a giant step for Brian to acknowledge and admit to everybody that um or to announce to everybody that he's going down to Kansas City because I mean, you're considered a terrorist according I, to Kansas City. Yeah, I'm I'm apparently a super dangerous ultra that, you know, is going to sticker bomb and use flares um at least that's what Sporting Kansas City thinks, and they just conveniently forget that I'm on their ticket holder list too. But <laughs> like, sure, yeah, <laughs> yes, I'm gonna come and mess up the stadium that I come to six or seven times a year. That makes sense. <laughs> Were you down there this past weekend? Uh, what was it? Uh, SKC and Austin. Austin this weekend. Yeah. You and you and Colin going head to head. Yeah, um, he he uh, he went down to Vegas this week for for work, and uh, I sent him a a Snapchat of the scoreline of that match as soon as it ended. So <laughs> he did not say anything back because it was what like four one or something like that. Four to one, yeah. Four to one. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Alan Polito coming back into rounding back into form after his injury plague season last season where he was out the whole year. So only in Kansas world's fun is in Missouri. True. True. 
when I said, I got nothing else, man. I'm, I'm tapped out for, yeah, that's, for that's pretty tonight. much, that's it for me too. And it sounds like my kids are up. So, uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, Perfect. thank you everybody for watching and listening to the show. Um, a big thank you to, to John for coming onto the show. Um, mm -hmm. You know, best of luck to him and North Carolina as they face Lexington this weekend. Uh, Tyler, you did not hear us say that. We're obviously going to be rooting for Lexington as well. Um, we're, we're dividing our allegiances here. I apologize. But thank you, everybody. We had a great time tonight. Um, join us next week for another awesome show. And we'll continue lining up more interviews and bring in more awesome content. Awesome.